Hey, we get to come to the Word of God this morning. Numbers chapter 13, if you have a, if you have a copy of the Word of God. If you don't, there's one in the pew rack right in front of you. Go ahead and turn there now. Go ahead and turn there now. Go ahead and do that. Go ahead and turn on your digital device as well, your phone, your iPad, whatever it is. For those of you watching online, hey, welcome. Welcome to our service. Hope you've had a wonderful worship experience already. I was at dinner with some friends this Friday evening, and one of them said, hey, pastor, every time you welcome someone online, you got to know there are people over there. I was sick for a long, long time, and this was my worship uh, outlet. So for those of you who are worshiping this morning with us, thank you for that. Numbers chapter 13, if you're new to Bible study. Numbers is in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. You can find it there, Numbers 13. I'm going to invite Jack Shaw to come up here. Jack and Jane Shaw have been a part of Taylor's for some time, and they have led a wonderful, wonderful life group meeting right now, and just so grateful for Jack and his leadership and his group. He loves the Word of God. He loves it. And they teach it. And that class is a caring community, but they, they love missions. They, they do things we don't even hear about. So God is using them. And Jack is being used by God in this community wherever he goes because of the doors God has opened for him and because of his leadership. God is using him to get the gospel in the name of Jesus in places where you and I can't get it there. So we are so grateful, Jack, for your ministry. Would you stand for the reading of the word this morning as Jack leads us? Numbers chapter 13. He's going to read verses 25 through 30. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Pastor. Let us listen to the word of our God and allow the Holy Spirit to apply it to our lives. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. Amen. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word publicly and the teaching of his word. Thank you, Jack. You may be seated. It is, uh, your, your pastor loves sports. It's basketball season. It's March Madness season. How, how many of you got your brackets? You got you, you, your brackets still intact? All right, I see a couple of hands there. No, it's a couple of people shaking their heads. No. Um, I've, got, I've got three three brackets, two, two uh, in an online family pool, of which yours truly is leading right now. All right, I'm leading. First place in one of those. Another one on the refrigerator. That's the refrigerator pool. That's the one we fill out there. I love basketball. About this time of year, I'll break out, and the kids kind of roll their eyes. I'll break out some basketball movies just so we can get in the mood a little bit. And one of my favorite movies is Hoosiers. 
Now, Hoosiers is a great story. It's a true story, based on a true story, in the 1950s of a little high school in Milan, called Milan High School. Number of students, Milan High School at the time, in the mid-50s, 161. How do you like that? It's this little rural community, this farming community, and back then in the 50s, the state of Indiana, which loves basketball. I mean, it's huge. Big, big basketball state. Back then, all the high schools would compete in the tournament at the end of the year, in the playoffs, and into the championship together, so there'd be no divisions like we have in Greenville County now, where the schools by size compete in their divisions. So Little Milan High School started really getting, getting some momentum at the end of the year, and they started playing better and better and better. And they go into the playoffs, and they, they keep winning and winning and winning. And so this little, little school makes it all the way to the championship game, and they drive in their bus to Indianapolis, and it is there where they're going to play Muncie, Muncie High School. And Muncie is 10 times the size of Little Milan. Muncie has guys that are bigger than the guys from Milan. I mean, they're totally outmatched. To add to it, here come the guys. One of my favorite scenes in all the movie. The bus rolls in, the doors go up, and they come walking down the hallway, and they step into the gym. And it is massive. It's much, much bigger than anything they've ever seen. And their eyes are just like glued on the bleachers all around, the size, the space, how high the roof is, and all of that. And they're just kind of paralyzed by that. Now, here they are on the verge, on the edge of the championship game. And now they're a little bit stuck with awe and wonder about the size of whatever it is is in front of them. So Coach Dale, Norman Dale, played by Gene Hackman, takes out a tape measure, and he calls one of the guys over, and he says, okay, stand over at the free throw line. Hold the measuring tape. Pull it all the way to underneath the basket. And he asks him, how, how, how far is it? It's 15 feet, Coach. It's exactly right. That, that's, that, that's what we play on. And then he calls another one of the guys over. He says, hey, put, put the little guy on your shoulder and, and get up to the basket. And he hands him the tape measure from the, from the rim all the way down to the floor. He says, how tall is that? See, 10 feet. And he looks at the guys and he, and he basically says this. The measurements, what we've just measured, means that the fundamentals of how we've gotten here how we've played on a 10-foot hoop with a 15-foot free throw line with, with the, with the um, diameter of the court that's the same. The fundamentals, the measuring stick of the things that have got us here to this point haven't changed. So why are you worried about the size of the opponent or of the gymnasium? I'll leave it to you to figure out the rest of the story. What happens is a great, great story. But we come today to a similar type setting where the children of Israel have been for more than a year now, been getting ready to come to the promised land. It's been about 12 or 13 months since they've been freed from Egypt. So in our reading plan, or in week 10 of our reading together, in our reading plan this week, we've come to the point where God has freed them from the Red Sea, or from Egypt through the Red Sea, manna, bread and water, Sinai, received everything, the book of Leviticus. Some of you might be wondering, what's this book about? We haven't really dove down into it in our reading plan, but the book of Leviticus is a book that was given to Moses at Sinai, so they're still hanging 
hanging out there with the rules, the regulations, the guidelines for worship. Levi, the sons of Levi were the priests. So in Leviticus, you have how do we worship a holy God? All of that. They got it. All right. Now numbers, God says, begin to move into the promised land. Here we go. What I have promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. I mean, we've been reading through all of this, all the way back to the garden. God said, here's the plan that a people will come from you, Eve, and from that people will come the Messiah. So this is part of the plan going all the way back. Abraham, hey, everywhere you walk in this new land is yours. All right, so then through Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and then in Egypt, they're enslaved. God frees them and sends them out. They get the law. They get what they need to live with one another. God has provided manna. It's getting pretty old after a year, but okay, they got food. They have water, everything, and they're right here, ready to go in Numbers chapter 13. But then fear takes over. The size, the, 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 the people, what is out, the enemies. Fear begins to take over. And every time God asks his people to step into a new season or a new place or a new land or a new chapter or a new relationship, the test will come fear or faith. Fear or faith. And what we have here in this chapter is really God giving us how people struck with fear respond to the challenges God gives them. Now, here's what I want to do this morning. Instead of a rifle shot, where this is just a wonderful Bible lesson that I teach you, here's my prayer, that this is a shot directly to your heart in a word for you who are going through a test. You're about ready to move into something new, new season, chapter, challenge, whatever it might be. Hey, for Taylor's First Baptist Church in two weeks, we are moving into a new chapter, a new season. This has application for the people of God this morning. Are we going to respond in fear and uncertainty? Are we going to kind of cower and cave in and go back? Or are we as a church going to say, beginning April 1, here we go. Here we go, Lord. For you, for some of you, here's the reality in your marriage relationships, personal relationships. You're, you're on the edge and you have to enter into something new. And the question for you is, are you going to step out in great faith or are you going to see the giants that are out there, the giants of hurt, the giants of betrayal, the giants of rejection, the giants of, oh, oh, oh if only I could change him or her, then everything would be okay. But I can't change him or her. So how in the world can I step into this new season? And instead of stepping in in faith, you're going to turn around and go back. For us with our kids, oh, we, 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 we fear, we, we fear that they don't become what the culture wants them to be. We, we fear that they don't become what they want to be. We fear what our children will do to our lifestyle and, and our, our comfort and our, we, we, as parents, we are constantly battling. Will I step out in faith with my child and lead them in godliness, or will I shirk back in fear and just kind of go with everybody else? In your career, in your business, some of you, 
Some of you are challenged daily or weekly in your career with a test, and it just weighs you down, and it, and it just consumes you. You wait, you have a knot in your stomach right now because once you take a nap, watch basketball tonight, you got to go in there Monday morning, and you're faced with this challenge. Am I going to step out in great faith and godliness and humility and do it differently, or am I going to just kind of cower and, and go back? What is God calling me to? For some of you, the steps in front of you, you're afraid you're not going to make it that next rung of the ladder. Just naturally, what is in place for you? You're thinking, I, I, I've, got, I've got to kind of roll with the flip, but God's saying, you know what? I want you to step out in faith. I want you to do something that is not like everybody else and do something different. We're, these challenges are everywhere, everywhere. And so I want you to say, what do I fear right now? What is God calling me to? What has God said? Now, that's key. That's key. What has God said, and, and why do I fear stepping into something new? Now, the children of Israel are right there. And as Jack just read, you got the report after 40 days. November, uh, Numbers chapter 13, verse 1, the Lord says to Moses, I want you to send these spies into the land, Ten, uh, 12 spies, 220 miles, 40 days, CIA in action here, covertly seeing cities and peoples and agriculture, just spying it. And they come back 40 days later after God has uh, provided for them, kept them safe, and they report to Moses and they say, Moses, here's the thing. The agricultural land is amazing. At the, uh, in verse, uh, chapter 14 there, they, they have these, these poles, it says, of clusters of grapes. I mean, so it's like you're driving to Publix today. You need to pick up something for, for dinner this evening. And they have the big truck out there. And instead of a guy, uh, with, with a cart kind of wheeling down, uh, produce, here come guys with two poles, one in front of the other, and grapes just hanging down. And you're like, that is unique. That is special. Where is that from? And so when they bring this back to the people, the people are like, Yes, manna, forget it. We're done. We're done with manna. Give us produce. Give us, give us what else is in there. And they tell them it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Doesn't that sound good? With milk and honey to go with your peeps this afternoon, right? It sounds really good. But then that little word there in verse 28, however, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell in the sea, and along, along the Jordan. And Caleb, in the next verse, has to quiet the people before Moses, because why? The people are going, hold it, hold it. We like the idea of milk and honey. We like the big grapes. You mean the people are really, really strong? Oh, my goodness. And their cities. Holy cow, the military. We, we kind of caught glimpses of how they defend their cities and the size of the walls of the cities are, are huge. And not only that, the people, some of the descendants that are in the land, they, they're really, really tall. And they make us look really small. And, and, and the people are beginning to go, really? Really? We, we can't do that? Oh, yeah. But guess what? Here's the thing, too. Um, the people are in different parts of the land. They're not just right over. They're not just right there. I mean, we could go around them. We figured out, hey, maybe we go to the left. There, there's a way to get around this. But no, they're everywhere. They're by the sea. They're up here. They're up here. They're... 
Oh my goodness. And here's thought number one this morning if you're taking notes. You ready? Here's what fear-filled people do. Fear-filled hearts frame a problem without God factored in it. Fear-filled people begin to calculate. We'll leave it up there so that you can write it down. Fear-filled people begin to calculate, and they begin to reason, and they begin to think. Some of you processors, man, you, you got to lay it out, A, B, C, D, all the way down. Some of you architects, some of you engineers, some of you Clemson fellows, you got to lay it all out in front of you and build that thing and, fr- and see it. But here's what they've done. They framed the problem. They framed the challenge. Okay, that's all right. But what they've done is they've left God completely out out of it. And here, wherever you might be, whatever your fear is this morning, you might be looking at it, thinking about it, but you're thinking about it probably without God factored in. Which leads us to the second point. Here's what naturally happens. Fear-filled hearts then overstate their fears in the face of of uncertainty. So let's pick it up. Verse 30. God's not factored in, so therefore, fear-filled people overstate their fears. Naturally, they think of the worst in the face of what they're not certain about. Read with me. Verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we're well able to overcome it. Then the men, 10 of them, who had gone up with them said, we're not able to go up against the people. They're stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out. That phrase, bad report, just isn't, well, they were inaccurate here and there. They they maybe exaggerated a little bit because because it says that, that in this report they talk about how they're like grasshoppers before the Nephilim, and they're talking about the land, verse... Verse 31, the land devours its inhabitants. You know, they move from a factual report of here is what it is to overstating their fears. And this is what we do naturally when we're afraid. We overstate it. We exaggerate it. Our lack of faith is filled in with our fears, and we begin to overstate exactly what is going on here. And that phrase, bad report, just isn't, oh, well, they just, they just embellished a little bit. That word, bad report, really, literally, is an evil report. This is how God sees us. He's like, listen, I sent you into the land to understand what it is that I can do in that place. Yes, the facts are correct, but now you have interpreted the facts. You have misinterpreted it to the point where it is now evil. You are causing people to stray. You are causing people in your fear to walk away from the trust and the faith and the power that I have. That's dangerous territories. We'll see in just a little bit. Leaders, we are called to a higher standard with the truth and with our faith. And these leaders lead the people by the by their fear and overstating and exaggerating and really presenting an evil report to the people. Which leads us to number three. Fear-filled people then multiply fearful followers. So here's ten. Ten leaders. And the whole congregation, chapter 14, verse 1, the whole congregation has been affected by that. Think about that. Think about the power of fear 
The power of fear can take 10 men with a strong report and it can turn a congregation upside down. Read it with me, 14 verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? There's an overstatement. Did you hear what they just said? Why, why did God bring us into the wilderness through Egypt just to leave us here and let us die? God never said that. God said, I'm bringing you out to get you into the promised land. And I'm going to take care of you when you're there. God never said, I'm going to leave you, and I'm going to forsake you, and you're going to die helpless. God, they said that. They look at the uncertainty. They look at the opponent. And then they declare, well, God, this is, you left us out here to die. God, why did you? We had, there's no other way. Oh, we know what we got to do now. What do we have to do? Well, we have to go back. Because our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And then they begin to say to one another, Let's find a new leader. Let's find a new, let, let's choose somebody else who can, who can take us back to Egypt. Isn't that quite a vision? Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to slavery. Let's go back to where God gets all glory. Let's go back to the place where God shows his provision and his care. Let's go, let, 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 let's, let's go back into the wilderness so, so that God does, doesn't have the opportunity to do something like he did in Egypt over here. Let, let, let's just abandon. Let's abandon ship, and they want to go back. Let, let, me, let me outline for you. Here's what happens when fear takes hold of a, of a house. When a mom or a dad or student begins to get fear, it, it takes over what can happen in a, in a church or in a congregation or in a life group or in a... Or, or, or in an organization, or in a nation. Here, here's a fourfold formula right from the Word of God. Number one, people panic. People panic. Number two, they then complain. They complain against Moses, but they're really not complaining against Moses. They're complaining against the Lord. They begin to panic, and they begin to say, oh, we've got to go back. And then they begin to say, oh, Moses, why did you bring us out here? And God wants none of that, as we see, we saw in our reading this past week, whether it was the people who had this strong craving for meat, and God had to supply it, or whether it's they come to the edge of the promised land and say, we're not going there, we're going, we're going back. And they blame it on, they blame it on, and, and God says, no, 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 you're not going to complain against him, you're complaining against me. They grumble. Thirdly, they, they, they long for the path. When they get on the edge of something new, something pulls them back. When you get to the edge of something new in a relationship, being called to the mission field, being called to ministry, seminary for some of you guys and gals, a new, way, a, a, a new Bible study, a, a discipleship group, a new worship stuff, there's something naturally inside of us that wants to pull us back into what is familiar versus what is full of faith. And then lastly, lastly, they look for a new leader, or they look for a new way. We're done. We're out. We're going back. And this is what happens when fear begins to multiply among followers right out of the Scripture. 
but Caleb. But Caleb. Look at verse 5. Let's keep reading. Look, look at it in your text, verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes. Now pause just for a second there. Joshua and Caleb are people who, yes, have a spirit of let's go. That's Caleb. Let's go. We can do this thing. But it begins, you ready? It begins with a broken heart for the things God has broken over. Holiness, godliness, other people. You can't have courage unless your heart has been broken for the same things God has been broken over. And then once you have that heart, then you begin to say, this is what we'll do. Caleb, they, they tear their clothes. It's like they're at a funeral. I mean, the people are just barking. The people are just crying. Caleb steps in, and Moses and Aaron hit the ground. <laughs> Moses chapter 11 and 12, he's done. I'm out of here. I, I can't do this anymore, God. Kill me. He's on the ground before the Lord. Joshua and Caleb stand. They rip their clothes. They're so broken over this. But then Caleb says, listen, listen. The land, verse 7, the land in which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. And if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this new place. He'll give it to us. The land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people. For they are what? The SV says they are bread to us. Some of your translations might say because we will swallow them up. Their protection, literally their shadow that is over them, is removed from them. And the Lord, the Lord is with us. Their protection is gone. The Lord, as we step in, is with us. And the enemy, the obstacle, is not what it seems. Thought number four, you ready? Faith-filled people are not blind to reality. Here's the danger. is to say, well, let's recklessly run out and do this. Or they don't know what they're doing. They're just charging ahead. No, no, no. Faith-filled people are not blind to the reality of what's there. They simply apply God's power to that reality. That's the difference. Yes, the people are strong. Yes, they have cities. I mean, look at us. Caleb could turn around, looked at the congregation, and said, look at us. We're a bunch of nomads. <laughs> we, we, we're a bunch of people. We got crying babies. We got nagging teenagers. We got bleeding, bleeding, whining goats and sheep and camels we don't know what to do with. I mean, they got these worship structures of their God. We got a stitched up tent. Are you kidding me? But here's where he says, That's, here's the reality. Here's who we are. Here's who they are. But God can do this. God can do this. Once Caleb gets a hold of who God is and he promises, that's key, what has God said, that's, that's huge. But then when God says it, and here's where we, we get stuck, most of us, we know what God has said. The problem is we don't do it. And fearful people aren't blind. Caleb's not stupid. He just says, here's what I choose to do. I choose to apply the reality 
of the person and character and power and promises of God to that situation than anything else. Number five. That doesn't go over real, real well. Verse 10. Great speech, Caleb. Clothes torn. <laughs> Look at it. Verse 10. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. <laughs> but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. The majority, the whole congregation said, we're going to kill you. I mean, they, I mean, they felt in their heart of heart, this just isn't the wise thing to do. The reason they chose stoning is because judicially, that is what they had a right to do with a false witness. So we're going to take the legal course to take you guys out. And the glory of the Lord comes to the temple. The glory of the Lord just hits pause there. Read, though, what happens in verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, listen, I want you to listen to this. How long will this people despise me? This isn't a one-shot thing. How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with pestilence, and I will disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier then they turn over to verse 20. Moses stops him and says, God, I intercede. Please, please don't wipe them out. Please, for your name's sake, just like you did in the golden calf. And God says, okay, I'm not going to wipe them out. But there will be a price to pay. Why? The Lord said, verse 20, listen, I want you to hear these words. I have pardoned according to your words. So I'm not going to wipe them out. But truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord... I'm going to do what I'm going to do. None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these, how many? Say it. How many? Ten times. What? Ten? They put me to the test. He's, he's counting. <laughs> Ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land. They're not going to see it, which I swore to give to their fathers. And none of these who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in me, has followed me fully, and I will bring him into the land into which he went. His descendants shall possess it. Now, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn, here it is, like a thud when I read it, my quiet time this past week in a reading journal along with you, like a thud to the gut, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness and the Red Sea. You're here. You're about to step into a glorious, amazing victory. But because, number five, because there is a pattern of not exercising faith these ten times, God, God sees it. God calls you to step out in faith. No, 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 not this time. I, I can't do it this time. I'm, this is me. I'm with you. Step out in faith. Just move forward. Oh, let me get everything lined up. Let me get everything in a row. Okay? I'm asking you to step out in faith, and I'll provide. I'll meet you there. You know what? A little more time. And a pattern of not exercising faith just simply isn't doing the Heisman to God. A pattern of not exercising faith builds and creates a heart that is stubborn. We're not doing it. 
and angers God. That word angers, I thought about it. I told the first service, I thought about it. It's a strong word. I want to be compassionate. I want to be shepherd-like. I want to be... And when God looks at a lack of faith and a lack of trust, he is so angry. It doesn't mean they can't forgive, and he does, and he pardons. But he wants us to trust. And here's the thing. We look at all the other sins. Come to church. I'm one of you. I've been in church ever since I was a little boy. Every day, I know the rules. I know the songs. I know the regulations. I know the Bible studies. I got my reading journal. Da, 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 and I look pretty good. And we think God is angered by them, by the really rotten sinners over there, the non-church people. But this text tells me that when God looks at my stubborn heart, He says enough. One of the saddest phrases of this whole reading plan was that phrase. Okay, go back. You're not going in. Everyone, everyone under the age of 20 could go into the promised land. If you were over 20 years old and you're right there on the edge about going in, you go back and you die in the wilderness. Isn't it interesting? Number six. Here it is, and I'll lay it out for you, and we'll finish. Fear-filled people miss out on God's provision of new seasons and places. Oh, fear-filled people just miss out. So simple to say. In a way, God gives them what they want. Okay, you want it? You don't want to go in there? Okay. I'm there. I'll provide. You'll see my glory. If you don't want to, okay. Go back to the wilderness and die. You know, they were so afraid that if they would go over there, that the land would devour them. They were so afraid that their little ones would get eaten up and get, they'll become like prey. And God said, no, 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 no. It's the complete opposite. Um, the land, the promised land, a place of thriving growth. We see it in Joshua. The promised land is a place of, of life and thriving. The wilderness is the way of death. You got it wrong. Your little ones you're so concerned about, your guarding, protect. Oh, we can't, we can't give them up. They, they put the wives and the children out there. This is why we can't go in there. Hey, guess what? Your little ones will go in, but you and your wife will not. And a whole generation, the book of Numbers, rest of Numbers, 40 years, 40 years of fear-filled results of wasted opportunities when God said, step in and let's go. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for this, where you are right now, wherever you are. I don't want that for you. I don't want God to look at you and go, enough. It's been two times, five times, 10 times, 20 times. Your whole life is one stubborn heart. Enough. The consequences are this. 40 years of wandering. The 10 the ten leaders, the ten leaders of the people, killed, you're done. And they wander aimlessly. So here's the thing. What do we do? What do we do? I want you to know what to do. Here it is. Here's our verse for this past week. Deuteronomy chapter 31. And it, we will end with this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you, when you get here to this point, I want you to open up your heart and to see not the enemy, not right here, not all right here, horizontal. 
I want you to look up vertical. And I want you to just cast your eyes up, and I want you to see this picture of Jesus in the garden praying. Because Jesus had a choice. Here it was. Either walk through death and the cross for my sin, or find another way. Father, is there any other way? If not, then your will be done. And Jesus is the one who led the way into the new land. Jesus is the one who has gone before and through the power of the gospel, not only to save me, but the power of the gospel that still is powerful enough to lead me as I walk in my weakness and in my sin and in my stubbornness, in my confession of my need of Christ and his gospel to lead the way. He has shown me. So my picture is now no longer the enemy. It's no longer my past, my weakness, my sin, my frailty, what other people are saying. No longer is that the frame of reference. It's Jesus in the garden. It's Jesus on the cross saying, I've made the way. And through the power of the cross and the empty tomb, I now walk with one who walks with me. He not only gives me power, but through the gift of the Holy Spirit, I now have the power, just as Jesus was able to say, not my will, but yours be done. So it is with us, and we walk by faith. So in Deuteronomy, it's almost as if Moses is given a little taste of this. Moses is going to hand it off. Moses, you know what? Moses is right here, and because of his sin, he dies up on a mountain overlooking the promised land. He doesn't go in. Moses, as great as he was, loved the man. Love him. Can't get in. It's going to take someone new. It's it's, going to take a man who can, can lead them. And Moses says, Joshua, in the sight of all Israel, this is the end. This is just about as Moses is going to die. Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. And it is the Lord who goes before you. He goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. Joshua, his name means Yahweh saves. In the Old Testament, his name is Joshua. In the New Testament, it's translated Jesus. The man of Egypt, the man of law, the man of rebellion, even though bless his heart, he did everything he could, can't lead him in. Yahweh saves can Aren't you glad Jesus can lead you in this morning? Amen? Jesus can lead you in. Eyes up on him and walk in faith. Father, we love you. And we pray this morning that you would meet on the precipice of our decision-making, of our relationships, of our patterns and habits. Meet us with the spirit of the of the life of Jesus, the, the gospel that frees me from my rebellion and from my sin and from my weakness and from my 
fear, my lack of faith. Oh, may the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I don't understand it fully and entirely, but may the gospel and the power of Christ fall upon this congregation so that we as a church collectively can say, Father, lead us. Lead us on April 1 and beyond. Lead us beyond uncertainty and fear. Lead us beyond our own sin and weakness. Lead us to a day in which the the gospel and disciple-making and mission and sending people out becomes the heartbeat of tailors. And build upon what you've built already. And Father, may we not shirk back. And then Father, individually, wherever you're calling people, oh Lord, there's fear right now that has locked down hearts. There's anxiety. There's worry. There are tears at night. Would you replace it with the one who shed tears for us and gave his life for us, who rose again for us so that we might walk into that next place with you? Oh, Father, hear our prayer now. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.